On this week's episode, we drive by three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Was this the biggest movie for coveralls ever? What's gonna happen in Idaho? And did the knickknack shop recover after a $7 loss? Find out now, you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first quarantine edition of 24 Flames Per Second, everyone. This is the finally the uh, timeout on everyone meeting in person has caught up with us. And so we are recording this episode remotely, everybody. It's uh, the podcast that roasts the films we love the most. And uh, God knows we're consuming more films these days. And so, uh, yeah, everybody, welcome to the show. As always, I'm your host, Robert Spiewak. And uh, I am sitting in my closet right now. So, uh, yeah, everybody, we're going to keep, uh, keep these episodes coming out like normal as best we can. Uh, we got everybody remote recording, um, which we're blessed to be able to do with the technology of, of the times. And so I hope everybody's staying uh, safe and healthy and washing your damn hands wherever you are. Um, and, uh, and self-quarantining wherever you are, if you've been made to or if you're choosing to, just to be extra safe about everything so anyways um the movie we're doing this week has nothing to do with any of that so we're gonna move on and uh start uh talking about the movie of the week which is three billboards outside ebbing missouri which is uh not timed particularly uh poignantly it's just uh just floated up in our stack um actually let me check i wonder if i did choose this for any specific reason i don't think i did i think it just made it to the top of the pile um but uh, oh, I remember why. Because promising young woman was supposed to come out next week uh, or this week, and um, that's something of a femme fatale. And so this was uh, the one that did float to the top of that particular pile. Uh, and so everybody, welcome to Femme Fatale Week. And that movie's probably not coming out next this week now. Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody, welcome to the show. We're gonna dive right into it. Um, and so yeah, uh, starting with. Across the city from me this week, the uh, the Shakespeare to my Oscar Wilde, Chris Pepper Hambrick. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, actually. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, well, that's good. I'm glad. Anytime someone is doing great uh, on their own in their own house by themselves, it's uh, good news to hear. Um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, did you uh, did you watch the movie this week? I must confess that I did not watch the movie this week. I have seen it. Um, but I've actually been busy, which sounds weird considering the whole stay at home stuff, but I have been, uh, delivering food. So, um, I've actually been really busy just, uh, making sure as few people as necessary have to leave their homes. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're doing the, uh, you're, you're something of a, um, mind. I was trying to make a billboard joke, but it's not happening. happening. I don't (laughs) know. I don't have one. That's um, okay. You can you can just drop it in later when you come up with it. You know, like a mobile billboard that uh, is bringing me- good messages to people. I don't know. It's it was a work in progress. No good. Um, I did. I will say that um, 
walking down that I was also walking the dog today and walking down the street I saw a message in chalk on the sidewalk that said thank you for taking care of each other oh and nice so that was a really nice little billboard to get today okay well great um well uh what do you what do you know about three billboards so uh, Three Billboards came out in 2017. It uh, was directed by Martin McDonough, who is incidentally a, an Irish playwright. Um, hmm. So interesting that he, uh, uh, you know, decided to, to move this way into filmmaking. And it was inspired by some signs that he actually saw. Um, and he didn't know the story behind them, but he saw signs much like the billboards that are in the film. And he kind of worked backwards from that and created a fictional story um, to explain why someone might have put up signs like those. Um, so uh, he kind of, the story is fictional, but it's based on at least like an incident um, that he uh, witnessed. So, but he had to kind of work backwards from it. Um, and then other than that might be of interest to know that uh, the film did get noticed uh, by critics and uh Primarily the performances of Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell. Uh, they won Oscars for those um, and a bunch of the other uh, award uh, shows honored them, uh, especially with that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it being a, a big, um, a lot of Oscar nominations. The year. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, very good. That is, I had no idea. It was kind of haphazardly based on a real thing. Um, yeah. But that's that's cool. I wonder. I bet. I wonder how close it he got to the real story. I do believe that eventually they did track down where he'd seen these. They weren't billboards. They were like signs that someone had put up, and it was a father looking for the the murderer of his daughter. So, um, yeah. So it it. I don't know about the rest of it, but at least the impetus for the signage is something that people have done. Huh. Wow. So, uh, but it, it is interesting as a, as a sort of writing exercise, I think, um, to imagine, okay, what would lead you to do that? And what would the consequences be? Um, but, but the, the inciting thing was real. Hmm. That's crazy. Anyways. Well, thank you. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on into introducing our panels this week and we'll start with the defense like we usually do starting with, Oh, film and political activist. You can find her on social media at Maddie Vonhoff. Maddie Vonhoff. Hey, I'm actually roasting this week, but I can definitely go and introduce myself. Did I just say it all backwards? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Let me start over. <laughs> Let okay. me start over. Quarantine I'll brain. Hang on. Let me edit that out. <laughs> okay. Edit six minutes. Jesus Christ. Okay. <clears throat> All right, what do you say we go on and we'll introduce the panels for this week's episode. We're going to start with the roasters, as we usually do, starting with film and political activists. Find her on social media, at Maddie Von Hoff. Maddie Von Hoff. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Hello. How's it going with you? Doing well. Um, waiting on my Switch to come in. Uh, uh-huh. Really excited about Animal Crossing. It's still, it's, it says Whoa. it's on its way, says it's going to be delivered tonight. Not so sure. That's going to happen. Um, but looking forward to that. I hope uh, you don't, well, uh, pour hours into it as responsibly as you feel obligated to. <laughs> Keep my job, play Animal Crossing. Yeah, I got my, yeah. I got my rest of my week planned. Yeah, it's really like, 
distracting when you're trying to work from home. I'll say that much. <laughs> Luckily, uh, next week is actually my four-year work from home anniversary. So I've been Whoa. doing this for a long time now. So anyone Pretty needs tips sure. and tricks, you can find <laughs> me at Twitter at Maddie Von Hoff. Happy yeah. to help. Oh, great. Um, well, anyways, it's great to have you on the show this week. And uh, yeah, moving on to Godzilla expert and teacher of some children. Uh, maybe not Maybe not children now. Anyways, Ian Coleman's here. Yes, I am. Are well, you still teaching children? Yes, I'm uh, I'm teaching remotely now. Oh, okay. Yep, okay. Yep, I didn't doing, know. doing all my lessons over Canvas, recording my lectures, pre-recording them, and uh, video chatting with students over Zoom. Just like wow. the whole rest of the world is using Zoom now. Yeah. But uh, yep, that's that's my life right now. Well, good on you. And uh, thank you for uh, for being here for the show this week. Oh, yeah. And on the defense this week, another teacher of some children, or he was, he might not be teaching them now, uh, and doting theater father. You can find him on uh, social media at BTaves, Brian Taves. Hey, uh, I'm not supposed to teach any children. Uh, so that's interesting how different districts are handling uh, the COVID-19 stuff. Wow. Yeah. Got off scot-free, losing your mind in your apartment. Yeah, we're supposed to offer enrichment activities that are uh, non-graded and optional. Yeah, we're supposed to be teaching the curriculum, but we're not grading it. So, well. Oh, gotcha. It's out of my hands. I'm just doing it. Out of my hands, too. Wow. Buck wild. Uh, Well, anyways, thank you for being here as well. And uh, you know how this goes. First things first, we're going to do a movie in a minute. Uh, and so give us, Brian, the full plot synopsis of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Spoilers and all. I'll give you uh, 30 seconds or 60 seconds. Good God. And they, um, here, listen, during COVID times, we're not cutting, pulling any punches. I thought, I thought minutes were longer. You're doing, no, doing a movie in, in 30 seconds. No, <laughs> adding insult to injury. No, um, yeah. So 60 seconds. Spoilers and all. Uh, and I'll give you a three count. Brian, are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. In three, two, one, go. Okay, so in the town of Ebbing, Missouri, Mildred Hayes is grieving uh, the rape and murder of her daughter, Angela. So she decides to put up three abandoned billboards, uh, uh, criticizing uh, Chief Bill Willoughby, played by Woody Harrelson. Um, The billboards upset the town because uh, Chief Willoughby is dying of cancer. uh, Mildred is insistent on keeping the billboards up regardless. Um, this leads to an altercation between her and a dentist, uh, and um, the, she she attacks the dentist. She's put into the uh, uh, police station. Uh, Chief Willoughby um, coughs blood into her face during the interrogation. Uh, he goes and off and has an idyllic day with his wife and kids and decides to end his own life, furthering the conflict of the billboards up in the town. Um, meanwhile, we also have a racist, violent, uh, cop named Jason Dixon, um, who is, uh, dealing with, uh, the grief. And you're at it. Yeah, that's a hard one. Ooh. That's a lot. <clears throat> yeah, there's, mm-hmm. I mean, all told, that's probably halfway through the movie. That's about um, halfway. <laughs> but, but that's great. Uh, and so, um, yeah, let me just, um, let's see what we can we'll finish out here. Um. So yeah, Jason Dixon uh, is uh, is 
uh, Sam Rockwell's character. Um, and all the time, he's just kind of this uh, slow burning fuse for conflict throughout the town. Um, he ends up, uh, after Chief Willoughby is gone, uh, Jason Dixon throws the guy that sold the billboard ads to Mildred out the window. Um, and he gets fired by the new police chief, who is a person of color and uh, does not like Jason Dixon for uh, aforementioned behavioral issues. Um, but but yeah, so uh, we got uh, Jason Dixon fired. Um, there's uh, several incidents of arson with the billboards get lit on fire. Uh, Mildred lights the police station on fire, um, which incidentally, Jason was in there reading his uh posthumous letter from bill willoughby um and uh gets caught on fire and he goes to the hospital um where he runs into and um well he gets put in the same room as and has some sort of reconciliation with the uh with welby who's the the ad guy um <clears throat> so he, he, he start this around this time you start to see dixon's character change uh, he's in a bar later, and um, he overhears these guys talking in the bar um, about incidents that sound very similar to the situation through which Mildred's daughter uh, died. And um, so he uh, scratches one of their face and gets some of their skin under his fingernails, his DNA, to run that test and see if they, if one of them is the guy. Um, uh, the DNA tests come back, and turns out it doesn't seem like he is the guy, but everyone's uh, he's pretty convinced he was the guy. So he calls Mildred, and they uh, agree to drive to Idaho to uh, find the guy. And that is kind of how the movie ends. And that was it. That's the rest of it. Um, did I, I didn't miss did I miss anything? I don't think so. I don't think so, no. Uh, Peter Dinklage, but... Yeah, he was a, that was a side plot. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of the rest of that. Um, <clears throat> uh, anyways, yeah, so that's there you have it, everybody. That's three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, um, and so we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Brian will get your uh, opening statements, um, and then we'll be on in the rest of the show, everybody. So we will be right back. Are you a young filmmaker looking to gain more exposure for your work? Submit your film to the 14th Annual National Film Festival for Talented Youth, or NIFTY, happening this fall. Meet other emerging filmmakers and creatives and screen your film to an international audience. You could even find yourself featured on a future episode of the NIFTY podcast. Submissions are open now, so head to nffty.org submit today. And we're back, everybody. Welcome back to 24 Flames Per Second. We're talking... Uh three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri on this week's episode. And um, Brian made it up to introducing Jason Dixon, which is uh, not that far into the movie before the break. So anyways, we're going to move on to opening statements. Brian, tell us why you're here defending three billboards. Yeah. Um, I really like three billboards. Um, most importantly, I really like uh, Martin McDonough. Uh, he's one of my favorite uh, writers uh, out there as both a playwright and a, a film director. Uh, I think in this movie, he does a really great job of capturing the irony and the cruelty of the world. Uh, he usually does this uh, really well, um, not just in Three Billboards, but in a lot of his work with sharp dialogue, uh, well-rounded characters, uh, really dark comedy, irreverence. Um, and he comments on the human condition. And, it, and in this movie, particularly, it reminds me of like watching a really good Coen Brothers movie. 
um, and exploring like the ideas of like existentialism and absurdism. Um, and I also think that the themes are really timeless um, and they're not easy to swallow. He explores things like sorrow and grief, uh, the impact of words and how human beings tend to project their anger onto others. And I also just think that the, all the performances are fantastic. Uh, Francis McDormand really kills it in this role. Uh, same with Sam Rockwell, uh, Woody Harrelson, John Hawks, Lucas Hedges, um, all, all those cast uh, members. So I, I think it's a, um, it's a really well-orchestrated film uh, that dives into some very uncomfortable themes uh, in a darkly humorous way. Okay. Very good. Um, I think then Roasters, um, seeing as Martin McDonough is a, a playwright, um, let's let's start with the the writing uh, and kind of the messages in the movie. Who would like to go first? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm also a um, Martin McDonough fan. I love his movies. Um, I think that his particular style of like you know black comedy and like kind of casual cruelty like really fits in like his previous two movies, which were like about assassins and criminals. Um, I'm not quite sure that that style really works the same way in a movie that's supposed to be like kind of about, you know, just these like kind of average ordinary people living like in the American heartland. I think that, you know, like obviously like this movie, you know, came out like the year after Donald Trump was elected. So there was a lot of the, the themes in this movie with regard to like police brutality and racism and, you know, um, kind of life in that part of America were like very prevalent. And I, I think that he can't really resist like trying to dig into the, you know, social commentary issues that would kind of naturally play out in a story like that. But I think that, that those themes aren't really handled in a way that I think really works. Um, I think that the, you know, the, the theme of racism that's kind of explored in the movie isn't really, you know, dealt with besides just like acknowledging that it exists, police brutality kind of the same way. It acknowledges that the problem exists, but it doesn't really explore it in any real depth. Um, just the, yeah, like decay of like the heartland of America is also addressed, but again, not really explored. Um, I think like it tries to tackle a lot. And I don't think that the like presentation of the movie and at least like the, the writing of the movie really does it justice. Yeah, Maddie? totally agree with Ian and I would take it one step further. I think, um, you know, Ian had mentioned like it addresses it, but doesn't like, you know, kind of wrap it up or take it far enough. I would even argue that it addresses those themes and does so inappropriately and poorly. Like there are times in which the, there is humor in the movie, but I'm not sure like what we're supposed to be laughing at. Like it'll, poke fun or, or have humor about like, for example, like officer Dixon, you know, um, is a, a cop who tortures people. He abuses people of color. And there's like a line where, you know, he's telling a joke and he is, you know, he's saying like the, like he tortures like people who he calls like the N word. But he's like, Oh no, we can't call them them that now we have to be people of color. And like people in the theater laugh, like it's a joke, but I, I guess I'm not sure what's supposed to be so funny about it like are we laughing that like look what po like what look what like uh pc culture has gotten us are we laughing because he's so misguided and behind the times but he's still like torturing people and like allowed to do so so it 
puts like, for example, it puts like racial just, I mean, I, I think it may be my issue with it is that it presents racial issues in the movie with no sense of racial justice. It's essentially used as a flavor of the time. Like look what was happening in this period of American history. But if anything, I think it handles it inappropriately by, you know, and we, I think we can talk later about like the characters in the movie by giving people redemptive arcs they don't reserve, deserve or having no consequences for people's like actions and choices. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, um, I think just to acknowledge from the get-go, I do think the movie is clunky in its uh, how it handles um, issues of race. And I think obviously that has to be, there is a blind spot there from Martin McDonough, who is a, a white, I would assume white male presenting male who uh, is obviously has some blind spots and, and probably uses, uh, uses his dark humor in a way that doesn't really um, allow for a healthy conversation about uh, those topics. For example, um, I, I did find myself uh, writing uh, too many uh, midget jokes. Uh, why is this a joke? Uh, why does this need to be made light of? Um, but I will say that I think that uh, the, the core of this movie is really Francis McDormand's uh, journey uh, through really understanding and grappling with sorrow. And, um, and, and going back to what Ian said about the dark comedy not working, I, I, I have to disagree because I think the dark comedy really relieves the tension. So, for example, when uh, the Francis McDormand... Uh, Lucas Hedges and John Hawk's character are having a domestic dispute. The 19 year old girlfriend comes in and she has a couple of moments where she disrupts. It's like the perfect timing and you can't help but laugh because what is happening before that is so fucking terrifying and awful. Um, and I think that's a, a Martin McDonough a motif. I also think that uh, the dark comedy also helps juxtapose the moments of true compassion in the movie. A lot of critics argue that Three Billboards is actually Martin McDonough's most compassionate film. Um, and I think that might just be a stylistic choice that fans of Martin McDonough might not like. But I actually really like that because you really understand the humanity of Frances McDormand's character, especially when she's like, for example, talking to the deer and having that moment, you really see, and, and when she's trying to put out the fire on the billboards, you really see how, how like much she has hold, held on to this grief. Um, and I think with the Sam Rockwell character, kind of jamming him in at the end there um, is a little clunky, uh, but I also think they're, Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand's characters are really uh, really great foils to one another, uh, uh, especially at the end. But I might be uh, throwing too much out there. But I, I, I think yes, the the film is problematic in its presentation of the of, of racial subject matter. Um, but I also think that the movie is mainly Francis McDormand's journey colliding with a really despicable character like Sam Rockwell at the end of the movie. Maddie. I think um, this might be like an unpopular opinion. I think that him as a like white male director using, like you had mentioned, there's dark humor also used in the domestic abuse that, you know, happened between like Charlie, Charlie, I think his name was like the ex-husband and then uh, Mildred. I 
I don't think that like, I guess white male directors can get to call the shots on when it's appropriate to use dark humor. If the humor is against like marginalized groups that they are not a part of, like I, it definitely left me like with a bad taste in my mouth to see that dark humor used in situations of like racial injustice and gender injustice essentially. And so I would argue like, I don't think it's appropriate. And when it is, I don't think that's his call to make. Um, as someone who doesn't, might not understand what it's like to be um, in those situations. And it and really just kind of, you know, brings up the question for me, should there even be a racial subplot at all? Um, I think that it, it just makes it very difficult to get behind kind of like the, the buddy cop relationship at the end between Officer Dixon and Mildred when uh it's essentially arguing that this is his redemption and being able to help her find her daughter's killers, but it's not redeeming him for what he actually did and the pain he actually caused in the community. He's redeeming himself in an entirely different section of like injustice that exists um, within our society. And I think, um, you know, Mildred, uh, is an, an incredible character. Um, and, and Francis McDormand does an incredible performance. And that's why it's so sad to see it get sidelined by a plot, like a redemption plot for a abusive racist cop and have him kind of bring it all together. When I think we could have stuck with her the entire movie and it would have been a stronger movie. Um, Ian, do you want to go yeah, I would, I would just say that, like, you know, okay, like, if you're going to be provocative in a way that you're going to have, like, a, a domestic violence scene played for laughs, like, you either need to, like, just kind of tell your audience in some way, it's like, this is an exploitation film, like, I'm going to break taboos, I'm going to make you uncomfortable, like, strap in for this ride, because it's going to be rough. Or, if you're going to go the route where you're going to, like, do these things, but in a more thoughtful way, then, like, you need to kind of show a little bit more like respect and like awareness and kind of a more nuanced understanding of the situation than I think um, this movie gets. Like, I, I feel like at least a couple of those moments in that movie, I feel like really crossed that line, not just like the, you know, the casual use of the N word, but like that domestic violence sequence in particular, like really made me uncomfortable. Cause like that, that is like a, an objectively like terrifying as fuck situation. Like the, like the dad, uh, Charlie chokes Francis McDormand, which like essentially confirms the, you know, kind of um, unconfirmed truth that he was abusing her. The son like holds a knife up to his neck and then it's just like undercut with like this, you know, very bimbo-ish female character, like diffusing the tension in a way that just feels very like kind of demeaning to her. It just, it feels like it's crossing a line in which is fine, but like, it isn't also like really giving the proper weight to the fact that like, yes, this guy is an abusive douchebag. Like he, I don't think he deserves that moment at the end where she gives him the bottom of line and says, be nice to you, Charlie, or be nice to her, Charlie. Um, I don't think that like, that is a thing that can just be like moved on from. Yeah. Brian, you want to go? Yeah. Um, I think these are all great points. Um, and I, and I, and I tend to agree with them because if, you know, if I was the one making the film, uh, like this, I would be much more sensitive to those things, but that's not the film that was made. Um, I think that this is a testament to why this is a 
maybe not a good movie or necessarily a great film, but an important film and why it was critically acclaimed because it allows us to have these discussions. And I think I'm going to stick with the, the intention and the style of the film is that it's an absurdist uh, kind of existential uh, questioning and pondering of how people navigate empathy and how people navigate their anger. Um, and like going back to the domestic violence scene, that is, I don't think that's funny. That's not what's funny. What's funny is the juxtaposition and the absurdity of somebody walking in on that and seeing that. And I have, you know, I can't lie to myself and say, I didn't have a, 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 a an, um, an instinct to laugh because you need to laugh because life is fucking terrifying and terrible. And I think that's what Martin McDonough's subject matter is really entrenched in. It's really about exploring how the lengths and the depths that people go for righteousness, for justice. Um, and, uh, and, and yes, that's not presented in the best way. I, you know, you could, you could probably eliminate all of the racial jokes because it's all punching down. Um, but I do not think that, uh, I, I think it would be a disservice to the intent of the film, uh, to, to not look at the ideas that Martin McDonough is, uh, is, uh, is presenting to us because even in the end of the movie, you know, the question that I have is like, no matter how angry we are, should we channel pain toward others, regardless of how righteous it is? And I think that it explores it explores that question without ever giving us an answer because good art doesn't uh, present us with tidy uh, de- uh, um, um, solutions. Uh, we are presented with fucked up characters in order to see uh, the fucked up ways in which we ourselves interact in those situations. Uh, Chris, you had your hand up for something. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of get at what a lot of what you guys have been saying about, um, you know, the way this is written, the way humor is deployed, uh, the way that uh, McDonough tries to get at questions of compassion and justice and righteousness. Um, And it reminds me of an experience I had watching the movie, which was the realization that most of these characters are not super likable. Um, They are, in many cases, sympathetic. Uh, and in varying degrees, you know, you can relate to them or, or, you know, see yourself in their shoes. But you're asked to follow a woman who I think Mildred is difficult. She's a difficult woman. Um, and that is not a dig on her as a character or the performance. But he has chosen to tell this story using characters that I think would be difficult to get along with. So do you guys think that that is um, part of the message is that uh, a flaw is that an advantage does that play into how you feel he deploys uh these concepts the the likability or lack thereof of the characters does that does that play a part for you uh matt you had your hand up but do you want to maybe speak to that in the same response yeah, i i think it, i think it's both um yeah that is a really interesting point um i think you know Going along Brian's point, it does create discussions, like as we're having right now. My question is, is it creating the right discussions? And I think, you know, uh, Pepper bringing up, like, does the likability of the characters help or hurt the message? Like, ultimately, there is a conclusion, right? Like, the director did choose 
to conclude the movie as, you know, Officer Dixon and Mildred going after like the killers who, um, you know, killed her daughter. That is so it they did choose a finale and that is what they chose. And so I think because of the likability or lack thereof of the characters, it makes it very difficult to figure out like what the director is trying to say that the message is because there's a couple options. One is that injustice is everywhere that, you know, people are like life is shitty and people are trying to, and people are hurt by it. And in their pain they they lash out and that everyone, you know, is just like, life is unjust to everyone, no matter what you do, which would maybe help some of like, kind of like the, the gender equity and the racial equity of like, no matter how good of a person you are, life is just kind of shitty and that's what it is. But we know that injustice is not really everywhere because like some people, I mean, get, you know, some justice throughout the movie in that like, okay, well, they're going after the killers. They're like, they, they clearly are going on kind of like a, a revenge, you know, kind of road trip. Um, is the message that like people get what they deserve in the end? Well, no, because I mean, people commit a lot of crimes in this movie, actually, even Mildred, right? I mean, she like mm-hmm. throws, you know, explosives into a, uh, you know, into the uh, police department. Um, you know, Officer Dixon certainly doesn't like get what he deserves. Frankly, no, I mean, the, even the killers on screen at least don't get what they deserve. So like, that doesn't really seem like that's the message either. And certainly the people who Officer Dixon harmed didn't get like what, you know, like the justice they deserved. And there's kind of this other thing I've been like playing with, which is like, should people be redeemed no matter what they do or the pain they've caused? Because the movie kind of argues, yes, I mean, Officer Dixon, that's a, he's getting a redemption arc, right? I mean, like, if anything, he's the character that gets the most redemption throughout it and that he is now being given an opportunity to do better that I'm not so sure he deserves. And I think that's where like the likability kind of comes in is like, these characters aren't likable and so you're kind of struggling with does anyone deserve justice here is life unjust are people getting redeemed and it's just a very kind of confusing movie to sit with at the end and so I agree with Brian it does create conversations I'm just not so sure those the conversations are the ones we want to be having I'm afraid that people walked away from this movie and went cool like they're going to go get the killers. Everyone can be redeemed from their like racial injustice. You know, like as long as you do something else good, that's like fine. Like, I'm not sure people walked away from the movie and are now having like sit down conversations about sorrow and grief and how it causes people to lash out. Those people are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Those people are stupid. Um, I think, so I guess maybe to kind of just cap it off. Like, so I do think that's kind of a failing of the director of like, like, don't open the conversation if people are if there's potential that people in a in a country today that is still torn apart by racial injustice by you know gender injustice that like that people are going to walk away with the wrong message and i think having officer dixon a very unlikable bad character what like go, make a friend essentially and and go off to help her i think is a confusing message and and an inappropriate one can I, I got to respond. Can I respond? Go ahead. To that? Go ahead. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's redemptive. I didn't see it as redemptive. I can understand how it's redemptive, but if you look at the details of it, like I, I feel like 
he's still so fucking misguided Sam Rockwell's character um, because he, he still does like the dirty thing to get the DNA. And yes, it's all like, it's all well intended, but I think us as audience, we can see that he's only, he's within his own limitations of what he thinks is morally right to do. And they, and I think it's, it's vague whether the person that they're going out to kill in Idaho is actually the person who killed uh, Mildred's daughter. I think, isn't that the, I mean, just clarification from the group is like, I don't think that's, they have pinned down that that's actually the person, unless there's the gift shop kind of situation that happens. But I I think, yeah, sorry. I think the implication is that it doesn't quite, well, in the minds of the characters, it doesn't matter because even if he didn't kill right. her daughter, he killed someone's daughter. Right, and so that doesn't seem redemptive to me. That seems like kind of the point, of, part of the point of the film is that it doesn't matter. Like, it's just like, how do you deal with your sorrow and how do you deal with your anger about injustice? Uh, and I think what McDonough is doing is commenting on the fact that people... Uh, don't manage it well. A lot of the time it's projected. So they're going to go off and kill this person in Idaho because they're trying to make themselves feel better about their own shitty existences. And and I don't see that, I as the viewer didn't see that as like being redemptive or necessarily um, um, right. I thought that was like they end up kind of being the villains at the end of the movie, I, I would argue. Um, and I think also to, to, I don't know who said it earlier, but someone said that like, I think the, is the point of the film that, you know, the whole idea is that there's injustice and no one can, everyone's, uh, um, everyone is liable to injustices. Uh, yes, I think that is the point, but I also want to take that further and say there is still empathy and compassion. Um, because if you look at Willoughby's character, Willoughby, uh, talks to Francis McDormand keeps the build like he can have it's about this idea of like putting two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time like he pays for the billboards for another month so he's totally empathetic and understanding of her grief um while also kind of saying hey fuck you for doing this to me so i think a lot of the movie is about cruelty and yes using racism uh and racial conversations is kind of uh is kind of clunky and cheap given the time that the movie came out. Um, but I also think that like that shouldn't, I don't feel like that's the focus. I think the focus should be on like the fact that like cruelty exists and the irony of the fact that like people are trying very, very hard to be good to one another, even when they're kinds of pieces of shit. Yeah. Well, I think it's sometimes hard to, Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm just going to go. Um, I think it's sometimes hard to see that message um, kind of when I feel like the movie gets lost a lot of the time in the, um, you know, snappy, witty, but like also very like black humory dialogue. And I feel like at least in the, the first half of the movie, like I feel like it takes it a step too far with like getting us to like really be in the shoes of Frances McDormand's character. Like we have like several scenes where she'll like, you know, um, fire shots at these groups like pedophile priests and like high school bullies and it just feels a lot like we're we're meant to be like yeah you go girl like you you know despite the fact that your your anger is hurting people and alienating you from the people who love you yeah you tell that pedophile priest what's up that pedophile priest what's up yeah you stick that drill on that dentist's finger like yeah but i've had 
you go. But I've had those feelings, Ian. Like I've had, like I've never want to act on them. But I think that's what that's what the aesthetic does is it allows us to explore those feelings of anger because that monologue that she gives to that priest, I've had that same th- idea in my head. I would never say that in polite society, but I've had that idea in my head. So I guess like, is that invalidating of that anger? Is that invalidating of that like? that feeling of like, I think it goes back to what Chris was saying about dislikable characters. They're supposed to be dislikable. That's the, that's the point of the movie. Like you're not supposed to like, they're complicated. And I think most human beings are complicated people and have these thoughts in their head. I think on that note, it's about time for us to unmask. So as we, uh, we get closer to the end here, let's talk about how we really feel. Brian, you can go first. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I. This is a, you know, this is a typical problematic film. Um, it doesn't handle its conversations about race um, and about social injustice in a way that I like. Um, I think it definitely punches down. Um, so I think I can understand where Maddie and Ian are coming from um, in that regard. And it's certainly not the movie I would make. Um, but I do appreciate the conversations, the uncomfortable conversations that McDonough wants us to leave from the, uh, wants the viewer to leave with after watching the film. And, and I also, I think it allows for us to have this discussion. I think all of us, I'll speak for everybody. Like, I think we're all fairly intelligent people that we can have these conversations. So I'm speaking to that group in my defense of the film. I'm not speaking to somebody who's taking this like film, like, people took fight club or any other film as permission to be a fuckhead. I'm speaking to the people who can appreciate complex, uh, intelligent, uh, ideas that are not easily, uh, easily answerable. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Let's, uh, let's go to Ian. Um, yeah, I actually like this movie. Um, I, for pretty much all the reasons that Brian articulated, um, I do, think that the movie does get lost in the like kind of black comedy aesthetic. I think it punches down a little bit too much. I think it goes um, a little bit too far with its like uh, provocativeness. But I also do think that the themes that the movie's trying to express are like, you know, I think very, it's a, it's a story very much worth telling. And I really just like love those quiet moments of like McDormand talking to the deer or like staring at like her sleeping son when she's about to go and like, you know, potentially, you know, kill somebody. Um, and all that comes with that. And I think that, yeah, like the themes of this movie, I think are a great thing to express. I think that they are overall communicated pretty well. I just wish that like, maybe it could have either like shown a little bit more awareness of what it was trying to portray in a few spots um, I think it maybe could have toned down the cruelty in some spots, but I, I do think this is a good movie. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Maddie. Yeah. I remember seeing this movie in theaters and, you know, as I was watching it, I think individual scenes are like really well acted, really well done. So as they're in each scene while watching the movie, you're like, dang, wow. I'm like really feeling emotions, um, which is what you want movies to do right you want movies to you know uh stir something inside of you that being said i think on a whole the movie doesn't work as well that while individual scenes are incredibly powerful I, yeah I, I don't think i was wearing too much of a mask uh while roasting here that i think that overall 
uh, the story maybe I wanted to see, which was, and I think that the, they even advertise, right? Like this movie is advertised as a, like a mother's hunt for, you know, justice essentially, uh, you know, and kind of like the heartland of America. I wish I could have just watched that movie. Like, I feel like, and then that way her going around and like lashing out in pain, uh, her and, uh, and her foil essentially being, uh, Sheriff Willoughby, like would have been really like eye opening and all that. And I just think officer Dixon's character is just like in the wrong movie. <laughs> like He doesn't belong here. Every scene with him is just like, did he just stumble on set? Like what? Yeah. Like, is this just a cop in this town that like, is just hanging out. Like, so I feel like, yeah, I would have loved to see more of Francis McDormand, her pain, her grief, her lashing out, her even maybe causing pain to other people that that she has to like answer for. But yeah, every time Officer Dixon was there, I was just like, I don't know what he's doing here. It's just confusing the whole thing. So um, I love watching movies and kind of thinking about what could have made it better. And for me, I think if you had just erased his character and even had her go after the killer herself or the maybe killer um, would have made this all, I think she should have started the movie alone and ended the movie alone. I think that's a good criticism. I also think that the movie was mismarketed too. Like I remember watching this movie and like mm-hmm. the trailers for it were very like slapstick kind of witty comedy. And it's really much more tragic when you actually watch it. I was kind of jarred when I totally. saw it in the theater. So yeah, Chris. Yeah. Um, I basically think this is one of those movies that I recognize was really well done, but I don't care about. Um, <laughs> So, like, it feels very Oscar Beatty to me. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It just didn't, to me, it doesn't add up to anything. Yeah, these are all really interesting questions. I don't, and I don't mean that I need an answer for whether I should go, like, wreak my own vengeance like on the, the killer of my child. Um, I don't need that type of answer. But I don't know that the film really furthers the conversation very much, at least for me. Um I don't have as those many problems with the character of Dixon, but that might be just a affinity for Sam Rockwell. Um, and that could be my issue. Uh, so I think it's the kind of thing that people who are good at what they do, especially when you write the two lead characters for the actors who ended up playing them, which is what happened with Rockwell and McDormand. They were specifically, those parts were written with them in mind. Um, then, then you get something like this that is, you know, quite accomplished, but doesn't really to me do much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the, in the, in the same boat where it, it um, definitely, I think had, you know, Oscars and award season in mind when they were kind of assembling everything. Uh, And I also remember the whiplash on the tone of the movie from the trailers. Like it ended up being, um, I I don't know the trailers. If I remember right, were kind of Coen brothers. It was trying to make it look like, you know, this was a Coen brothers movie and it was like, Ooh, kind of dark, but Oh, humor. Yeah. And appealing to sort of like the Tarantino, uh, sort of, uh, Martin Scorsese crowd a little Mm -hmm. bit. I thought maybe. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, I think definitely focused on like, you know, uh, not a young generation. Um, so like, um, is trying to capture all those all those people that would that would go to the movies to see something like this. All their favorite is Princess McDormand, um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I still 
like the performances in it, but I think it's probably just because of the charisma of the cast themselves and not necessarily like the actual like story of the movie because that's like, a great cast. Yeah. I mean, upon rewatch, oh like it's kind of like inconclusive, like not, none of nothing resolves really. Right. Um, and yeah. And yeah, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like a slice of life movie. Um, where it's kind of like, eh, look what's going on down in Missouri. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't have strong feelings either way about it. I remember really liking it upon rewatch. I was like, yeah, it's all right. But yeah, not something that I feel compelled to rewatch often or anything. Yeah, that was kind of my experience too. I remember like really just like loving it in the theater. Like I was laughing so hard at like all the dialogue, even to the point where like, somebody in the audience like had to say to like my friend who I was watching it with and me like, guys, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think it might've just been that like one, like, I mean, I'm watching it like on my laptop on a couch versus like seeing it with a friend after getting a beer. And maybe it's also just that like, now that the shock value had kind of gone down, like, and I kind of knew what to expect, like the, a, a bit of the magic was not there. Yeah. Ian though, could you imagine like, you're sitting down with like a friend with a beer and you're like, yeah, like let's watch this movie. I heard it's like pretty humorous. And it's about like, you know, going after these like killers, you like put it on hour and you're like, Oh no, like this is not our casual beer night movie. I mean, oh, no, we, we both knew what to expect. Like we, we had both seen seven psychopaths together. So we, we were both fans of Martin. Oh. McDonald. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Like when Woody Harrelson kills himself in halfway through the movie, I'm just like, what the fuck? This movie took a pivot. That's how yeah. I felt. Yeah. All right. Well, that about is going to wrap it up for this episode, everybody. Um, and we're going to continue chatting on our extended player post show. That's just for our Patreon supporters. Um, and so, I, you know, if you have the means with which to donate in these um, tight economic times, we appreciate that. Um, not pushing super hard for it because everybody's got to, you know, take care of themselves and we're, we can keep the lights on um, without too much, uh, well, we'll figure we're figuring it out, but um, but yeah, if you want access to more content, uh, we have a we have a Patreon. You can go to twenty four patreoncom slash twenty four flames pod, um, and you can check or yeah, and you can check everything out there. Um, and uh, yeah, everybody. And so, other than that, if you have thoughts about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, you can email us at twenty four flames pod at gmail.com. You can. Uh, Find us on social media at 24 Flames Pod. Um, the, the nuts and bolts of our show are still running uh, full speed. And um, yeah, everybody, this episode of 24 Flames was produced and hosted by me, Robert Spiewak, co-hosted by Chris Pepper Hambrick. And on the panels this week, the defense was Brian Taves, Roasters, Ian Coleman, and Maddie Vonhoff. Our music was composed by Rob Jones and performed by Rob Jones and Will Paulson. And uh, Party Media... Produced by Quasi Phillips, Will Paulson, and Robert Wack. And uh, so, yeah, everybody, we will uh, catch you next week again as we continue rolling on through all this stuff. Um, and I have to double check what episode, what sh- show we're actually doing. Um, I don't even know. It's not correct on my calendar. So I can't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Um, oh, it's, I think it's Napoleon Dynamite. Maybe? Nice. Either that or Armageddon, and I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
but uh but but yeah so everybody um we will catch you then and uh thank you so much for uh, for listening continuing to support the show i hope uh you we, our show provides you some kind of filler for any quarantine time you need content to consume during so um yeah everybody we will uh, we'll catch you next week for either lighthearted or very heavy-handed content um <laughs> so yeah everybody thanks for listening bye bye, bye. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.